Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Tuesday Toolhouse Tool. Um, today, we have the privilege of uh, talking and meeting with one of my dear friends and colleagues, uh, Von Nesgoda. Um, and the topic for our Tuesday uh, Toolhouse Tool today is on adolescence. And what we will be talking about specifically in regards to adolescence is health, uh, well being, sexual education. And then moving into kind of how that relates to um, and influences uh, abuse, some substance use and abuse. Um, so this is going to be a great podcast for parents and um, educators. If you're wanting to open up an adolescent program or you have one currently in progress, um, I just want to touch on my uh, connection with Vaughn uh, briefly, and then I will allow him to say whatever he would like to, to introduce himself. So Vaughn and I have known each other for over 20 years. Our youngest children are really, um, have been uh, good friends over the years. And uh, Vaughn and I worked together at the Post Oak School when he was running the adolescent program. Um, my daughter went through his adolescent program and he and I um, have, well, yeah, he and I have both raised adolescents um, and stayed in contact over the years. Um, my my most recent head of school position, um, I invite at my most recent um, head of school position, I invited Vaughn to come and work with the students because we were wanting to provide some health, well being, and sexual education um, offerings for the children. Um, and we, when we were looking at what was out there and what was available, we felt um, like there were things missing or there, there was maybe too much information. Um, you know, being Montessorians, we wanted to provide something that would guide them um, and nurture them and also kind of touch on the whole aspect of who am I as a person and let's start there. Let's start with developing self and understanding what it looks like to have a relationship rather than just jumping into, oh, here's some, here's some forms of contraception and, and yada, yada. So um, yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about that because Vaughn was able to develop the um, his own program, um, which really served our needs and our wishes. Um, and yeah, so uh, I know I've said a lot, um, but let me introduce Vaughn and let him say hello and introduce himself a little bit. And then we will start talking about the program and how to really advocate for what's best for these adolescents. Okay, thank you, Sean. Um that lengthy introduction yeah um i'm going to start with saying uh in moving forward and in and tweaking and developing a program um i've been experiencing a lot of cognitive and emotional dissonance and by that i mean uh i've looked at lots of uh, different things online checked out books um and i found myself uncomfortable like uh, with Sean's kids, these were sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. And my personal reaction was having raised three kids myself, including two daughters, um, uh, that the material was a little either too over the top. And bottom line is I didn't feel it was appropriate uh, for the audience, target audience that uh, I was presenting to. So I just kind of piecemealed some things together. Uh, Sean mentioned who am I as a starting point and always did a uh, brainstorming session to start some KWL with an old fashioned, just stick up 
uh, flip chart. And when we finished one, we just uh, uh, put them around the room so they could visualize them. But uh, my concern is, and that's uh, feeding my paranoia, is the political polarization that's prevalent these days. And by that, I mean, um, things that we used to think were, were fairly innocuous that should definitely be included in, in a sex ed program or adolescent development, it seems uh, that there's somebody that has a problem with it, um, including I have family members that are constantly bombarding me with stuff. Can you believe this? There mm -hmm. to be a little crash on one my brother sent me yesterday. New Jersey has mandated that all teachers must teach about anal sex. And I'm mm -hmm. like, Frank, <laughs> my brother's a preacher in Dallas. I go, um, it's not that they're going to condone or promote any form of sexual activity, but yeah, um, it's something that needs to be addressed because it's a form of sexual interaction. So, mm -hmm. um, so I mentioned that from a personal standpoint, my brother Frank, in that I just think um, moving forward, we, we have to be cautious and judicious. It's a bit of a tightrope that my, my uh, overarching filter is this. We have to provide these young, vulnerable, somewhat naive uh, adolescents with the armor to go out into their social environments and have the tools to make good decisions. Now, having said that, um, what is essential and critical that must be kept that's not going to engender or generate that backlash that I alluded to a few minutes ago? And to me, that's the challenge. Uh, to provide a specific example, at the session at Sean's school recently in Austin, um, the third day we broke out by gender. One of uh, her staff members there worked with the girls and the materials I prepared. And we did some cursory um, exploration of gender identity and sexual orientation. I personally felt that it had to be done that way because it's so sensitive and uh, the kids are so highly sensitive themselves that I felt we needed to address that uh, by gender. So, right. And can I just interrupt you for a second? Because oh, I know yeah, there, are, there are programs out there that are suggesting that even as young as third grade, you're having these conversations and the boys and the girls are in the same room. Um, you and I looked at some of those programs that are available and, you know, mm -hmm. and on the spectrum, there's, you know, the very progressive ones and there's the very conservative ones, which is why we, we decided it would be best if I just let you take that information and make one that was more fitting to what we wanted to provide. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Um, because I know, I know that even in that, in that school, there was some push from some people to keep the genders together, um, during that conversation. Well, um, my primary filter was, and always is as an educator and administrator is what's in the best interest of the child. And so I felt in order to get this information out, I mean, even the gap, Sean, as you know, 
in adolescent development, the third plane, uh, significant difference between a sixth grader and an eighth grader. And, mm -hmm. Or a fourth grader. Yeah, well, and a yeah. sixth grader. Yes. So when when we were lumping 12, 13, and some of them were on the cusp of 14 together, I even had to respect that within that subgroup, there's significant emotional and physical development differences uh, between them. So that, it, to me, was another challenge. I thought it went really well, and I thought particularly, um, I'm biased, uh, I think that uh, adolescent females mature uh, a couple of years ahead of the adolescent male for a host of reasons that we don't need to go into right now. But I felt by isolating the boys in, in a separate room, we were able to address some topics that I feel they either would have been too inhibited or too embarrassed. For example, mm -hmm. masturbation and providing mm -hmm. them some basics on what an ejaculation is, sperm, male genitalia. I just didn't feel like there was any way. And then the contrapositive addressing the female anatomy that we could do that, um, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. mixed gender. So, so I, I guess I'm mentioning that because I think in developing a program, there has to be some caveats and recommendations that to be most effective and feel that these young, particularly somewhat immature males, adolescents, are gonna feel comfortable enough that they'll open up. And, and then one um, tool that I use or strategy is before each session, I passed out an index card. I said, look, at the end, we're gonna have a Q&A and you know the L and KWL see what we learn but if there's a question that you still feel uncomfortable asking please write it down you can be anonymous or you can give me your name I didn't care and then uh in a subsequent uh meeting after a break I would open up those questions and as you can imagine some of the best questions I got were off the index cards mm -hmm. concerns that they had and including one from my old Catholic school days, uh, one was for a little humor. Is it true that uh, masturbation can make me go blind? I mean, I literally, <laughs> that's wow. why I wear glasses today, Sean. No, um, so, and so okay. when I read it, the kid that wrote it, I, it was anonymous. I could see him shirking and stuff, but things that we assume that they know because of popular culture and mm -hmm. the, the internet social media uh we are mistaken they still have a dearth of information that that that, that they simply don't mm -hmm. have and so um and again um what i personally am struggling with is okay how do you get something out there that addresses the critical elements provides information that when these kids are at a party, we're, we're going to talk later, I guess, about substance abuse. And I don't think you can treat uh, sexual ed for adolescents in a vacuum, that it's directly related to substance abuse and all of the data from CDC to all these private firms confirm that, for example, 
uh, in a recent survey, it indicated that roughly a third of kids from eighth to 12th grade admit that they are currently sexual, sexually active. When you factor in those that are um, using or abusing substances, whether it's alcohol, alcohol, cannabis, drugs, the number of sexually active adolescents literally doubles. So mm -hmm. there's a direct correlation between um, where they're at with their level of experimentation and how that's bleeding over into their sexual experimentation. Yeah. So yeah. again, I struggle with to, to, to belabor the point with how do we give them what they need to have so that when they're in these settings where peer pressure kicks in and there are alcohol and drugs there and there's no parents around and kids are pairing up and going back to the bedroom, how do we provide them with the information that there's no guarantees with an adolescent, peer pressure being as powerful of a force as it is, but at the same time, give them the tools that they will make some decisions that's in, in their their best term interest and then of course the first part of this thing is health study after study after study confirms it's unequivocal that the earlier that they become sexually active and you got kids in the seventh and eighth grade that are now and or indulge uh, use of alcohol and drugs and other substances, they subsequently have a much more difficult life as an adult, many right. sexual well, substance abuse. So again, I think to conclude the adolescent period of development, the third plane is critical. It's raging hormones, it's forming their identified uh, acknowledging what their sexual orientation is. And I think developing a program like this is every bit as critical as anything else in the curriculum. I agree. Um, particularly uh, in the popular culture that is hypersexualized and uh, totally unrealistic. So that, yeah. um, I don't know and if I I'm just wanna, that's where I'm at. I just want to jump in because um, you said a couple things that um, you know, triggered my, um, my, my thoughts and recollecting back when you and I were talking about you coming to, to provide this program for the children. Um, and you said, you know, over and over again, it's for me and you and I talked about this, it wasn't so much about, um, um, you know, the, the sexual information about what happens physically and anatomically and, you know, consequences from all of that, those choices and decisions, but it's more about starting where, um, starting with helping these children to know who they are and have some integrity and have an internal locus of control and to be making judgment, you know, to be able to make judgment decisions based in integrity and that internal locus of control instead of just kind of impulsively um, being part of, of the group and the crowd. And I think that was for me what was missing in many of these sexual education programs. It wasn't about how do you love yourself? What is a what does a friendship look like? What does a relationship look like? What is a healthy um, you know group of friends look like? And 
um, what is a, how, how do you take that and move into a, a larger group and then be able to stand on your own side, you know, and make decisions um, in integrity. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, um, that was somewhat at the core of what you and I were trying to do with these children. It has to start there and then you can move in and to all of the, um, those other topics, because what's, you know, what's the point in talking about, um, you know, protection with a condom, um, you know, with the banana, if they don't even have a sense of who they are or mm-hmm. what they want or what they don't want and um, who they are in, in substance and in essence as a person. So Sean, um, I, I'm, I'm glad that uh, you reiterated that because I think you're absolutely right. I think it's the foundation that a program has to be built on. In fact, that one that I recently did for y'all's group there in Austin, the first session was called Who Am I? Mm-hmm. And we we had some creative handouts and we segued off of Who Am I into the key components that impact an adolescent. We spent a session on emotional development, physical development. Yeah, these changes are going to happen. Be aware of them. And then uh, I found the one that I had most interest was the component of social, Mm -hmm. because as these kids symbolically cut the umbilical cord and gravitate away from the guidance of their parents to their peer group, it's paramount to understand the dynamics of the social uh, component and how they impact that decision-making process that you're talking about. Right. Uh, I like the, that you call it the locus of control because what happens is it shifts from in, internally to externally. Um, if, if they don't have that substance of self. Right. In terms of who ultimately is going to make, is it going to be me or is it going to be a consensus in my peer group? So I, right. yeah, I think you're absolutely correct that you start with that foundation. Who am I? And um, how do we segue off of that into uh, based on your self-perception, how does that impact mm-hmm. decisions you make in life? Because I really, truly, honestly, after 30 seven years now working with the adolescents i believe it's the most critical period of your whole life maybe you live to be 80 yeah. maybe some people are living to 100 but that few years will set the tone for the rest of your life so i think well and bond and critical and, you know that. i'm sorry <laughs> keep it around no, so you and i are both Montes- you know montessori i know you have um you've led lots of different educational programs, but we both mm-hmm. believe in, in, you know, the social and emotional construct that Montessori provides. Right. Um, and if children are in Montessori, you know, primary elementary, oftentimes they do come into an adolescent program with that internal locus of control. You know, they know how to think, they know how to make um, decisions. They feel capable, valuable, powerful. You know, they know how they're, they have interpersonal and inter- intrapersonal skills and systematic skills and judgment skills that are pretty strong. Um, but not always. And so when they don't have that, um, and they're, they're much more likely to be influenced by peers, what, how do you intervene at that point? Cause it's a, it's a very sensitive time. And how do you like, I guess, for lack of a better word, what does the remediation look like? <laughs> Good question. Are you asking me or was that rhetorical? <laughs> I'm asking you. Okay. All right. No, I, I didn't know if that was a way of closing it. 
Well, to me, what you and I talked with about uh, last Saturday is um, came up a couple times. We use the term the Pandora's box that, you know, from mythology, once that box is open, damn hard to close it. Mm -hmm. I mean, particularly and, you know, quick caveat, you mentioned the Montessori kids and how we worked so hard to get them to find their voice right, and to share their feelings and opinions. Having said that, you know, and I know that even with all those tools, Montessori kids, like any other kids, are extremely vulnerable to the, mm -hmm. in the social arena in terms Especially of- those they want to early be years of adolescence they want you know they want to be perceived as athletic or cool or beautiful or whatever i mean we would like to believe that the tools that we inculcate from infant community all through the different planes of development have somehow uh, armored them up to where they're invulnerable but my experience has been with montessori kids public school kids private school kids um there's no guarantees there. right i agree and mm -hmm. so then to address your question um how do you remediate man i i i get a little frustrated because I, i've had some successes in terms of getting kids we call the 180 turn them around it to me it's far superior to uh, provide them with enough preemptive and preliminary tools, because once they've opened that box, you know it's incredibly difficult to close once mm -hmm. they've decided, for example, that they like a particular drug. Because back to the who am I question, um, we have to acknowledge that certain kids, whether it's cocaine, methamphetamine, ecstasy, pot, alcohol, opioids, they feel at least initially that i like me better under the influence of this particular mm -hmm. adulterant in other words they feel like i'm more socially accepted my inhibitions are gone and so i think um, the remediation part how do we turn it around i think ironically that's why you want to structure a program that addresses these things before the Pandora's box is open. Because once mm -hmm. it is, um, wow, it's hard to close. Um, yeah. You'll have some period periodic um, uh, successes followed by relapse. And, you know, you know it's my experience mm -hmm. with closing in on four decades is I don't want to default to Nancy Reagan is just say no. But right. um, just say moderation, just say good judgment, yeah. whatever tools we can give them to where they're not 16 years old, have a serious drug or alcohol addiction, which has also caused them to be more sexually promiscuous. Yeah. And quite frankly, it scares the hell out of me. Mm -hmm. you know? So you, um, yeah, you brought up a good point. Um, so in my my graduate program for leadership and coaching, we talk about emotions and we talk about five of them basically because the other ones are just kind of sub subsets of them, but you got fear, hurt, anger, sadness, and joy. And 
you know, the, the fear, the hurt, the anger, the sadness is oftentimes dismissed or not, um, you know, acknowledged um, and not accepted. So what you're saying, you know, what, I guess what you, um, what you caused me to think of was that whole idea of joy. So they're trying to get to that joy, you know, um, with maybe an external um, drug or substance rather than riding through all of those different emotions, which are, are actually part of the joy when you get there. And so I think that that's a big piece of it too. Like your emotions are okay. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. Um, and then giving them an, uh, you know, some, um, a resource to, or an outlet to be able to express themselves and talk and then develop trust, you know, with adults mm -hmm. as well. I think if there was more, um, more, more about, you know, firm boundaries and expectations and standards and, combined with um, trust, you know, they would be able to talk about these emotions and ride through them and, and actually um, accept them and honor them, you know, so that, um, so that their, their essence is whole and complete, not just um, numb or <laughs> um, induced, you know, through a substance. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And just some feedback on that. Um, I really think it's a primary filter in that you have to be open and willing to listen to these kids when you lead them through these sessions. Because like one time I structured one with some hardcore inner city kids in Houston at Jones High School. And my prompt was when I flipped open the chart to brainstorm, it was why, oh, why do I have to get high? And the outpouring, you mentioned those things about joy, about they verbalized it in a way because I said, look, this is brainstorming. We Nobody gets to react. Let's just put reasons you get high up there. And interestingly enough, many of the reasons were the characteristics that you just identified in, in your last comments in terms of they want acceptance. They want to feel good about themselves. Mm -hmm. They want to be. They're angry. Um, they're sad. They're yeah, hurting. Yeah. Yeah. That I'm sad and depressed and I do some of this stuff called cocaine and all because cocaine on top of everything else is an antidepressant. It's a stimulant. And so they get somebody says, oh, man, you're feeling down, try some of this. And then for 30 to 45 minutes, if it actually is cocaine, they're going to magically feel upbeat and positive. And, and then all of a sudden, Eureka, this is what I've been missing. And mm -hmm. that's what I say again, frustrates me and scares the hell out of me. And I talk to I talk to my own kids regularly about this is that um, once you go down that path, it's hard to turn around and go back because I worry about that. I have two daughters that live in Boston and a son that lives in Houston. And even though they are 24, 32 and 38 now, I worry, uh, will they still go down that path? So back coming back to developing a program, um, to armor up, I just like get, give them something to go out there and do battle in that social, highly pressurized social environment. Um, I think we 
we have to be open and honest with them. That a starting point is why why are you abusing substance and, and, and um, mm -hmm. drug addiction to me it, it has many parallels with say sexual addictions that um, at the physiological and biological level it releases dopamine which stimulates the pleasure center of the brain and it makes the person experiencing it feel good you mm -hmm. have to acknowledge that but in that artificial um, feeling that you've induced, what are the consequences short-term right. and long-term that you're gonna go through? But and, think, and it's so, you know, and I think that there's an ugliness around, you know, somebody being angry or somebody being sad or somebody, you know, being scared. And I think if there was more acceptance of those particular emotions and how to deal with them, um, how to manage them and how to feel good without an external substance. Um, you know, there's, there's not enough focus on that either. It's just don't do it. Or, you know, this is, this is the consequences if you do do it. Um, but really kind of getting back to that, who am I and how do I build myself, you know, um, mm -hmm. so that I'm, I'm healthy and I can stand on my own side and I feel good in my own skin. That's really the armor. Right. And it is. And, if I may, we do a, a, a lot of amazing thing as educators. I think uh, we're as important to the world as any profession in terms of producing well-adjusted uh, citizens of the world. But my personal belief is this, for so many things we've done with essential elements and curriculum, scope and sequence and extracurriculars, the area that really has not been addressed properly and must, and this program could be a piece of that puzzle, is under the realm of emotional development. Mm -hmm. I really emotional feel intelligence. Yeah. Emotional intelligence. You know, there's there's been, you know, some seminal work done and some thought, but I don't think uh, we address it. And I think a host of uh, myriad problems could be to use your term remediated if we do so i'm hoping the next generation of educators are proficient in emotional intelligence and how to develop it that who am i question and why do i feel this way and what are coping mechanisms that are healthy for me and not going to lead me to addictions and again in the general political community that we're in now it's so polarized and divided that many folks are saying oh that doesn't believe belong in schools that's a parent's responsibility well great 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 but so many parents are advocating ab abdicating they're not doing it and so one of my men of la mancha dreams is that in the future education is holistic it's mm -hmm. not just uh cognitive and right curriculum that addresses the whole child and that was Maria and Montessori's i mission. think you yeah. really can armor up these kids and it has to start very young that um so again you know um you do what you can everything is incremental but i think programs of like what we're trying to either develop or tweak um 
cannot operate in a vacuum. We've got to respect the political environment that exists out there right now because A, none of us want to get sued or B, lose our jobs or C, the uh, local media comes in and makes it a big issue. Yeah. So that's well, and what I think I'm personally struggling with. How do we give them what they need without subjecting us, the the educators and administrators to a backlash that with certain topics, it's inevitable. It's going to come. It's going to come. Well, I think we have to engage the parents and educate them. What if the parents can't be engaged? Yeah. Well, that, that's. Gay people um, are an abomination. It's back there in the videos, you know, yeah. they're, they're condemned to go to hell. And so. Well, I think I, the best thing we can do is, you know, provide the information about the program that we're offering and the value, at least our perspective of what the value is for the children and the families. Um, and there are going to, you know, I mean, you can't, uh, you can't uh, control people. So you're going to have, but at least they have the information, you know, you can't make decisions um, if you don't have the information. So um, I know uh, that's as a parenting, and that's a parent, reasonable, but yeah, a lot of people are not logical and reasonable right now. I mean, I'm, I'm having it with family members that several have MDs, you know, advanced degrees, and uh, we all went to the same schools, I think the same genetics, same environment, <laughs> and yet we just don't see eye to eye on what information and armoring up should be given to young people. They mm -hmm. just, and that's in my own family, so it becomes very yeah. personal for me. Right, And then I follow a lot of stuff in uh, chat groups and social media. And so again, in moving forward, how do we achieve the clear cut objectives that drive this effort? In other mm -hmm. words, providing the tools that'll help these kids make good decisions, but at the same time, get a buy-in from the community and the parents that this is important work because- yeah. If you don't do it, the long-term consequences to society, financially, uh, emotionally, physically, morally, yeah, morally are staggering. So, well, okay. Yeah. So here's my thought: you have a program now, mm -hmm. um, and you and I have, you know, touched on a lot of. Uh, well, we've, you know, there's been a lot of touch points in this conversation, um, but one of them too that I think maybe maybe it was glossed over that I want to hit on or touch on is that. We, we also believe that children in third and fourth grade have a right to their innocence um, and that too much information too young is, is not good, um, mm -hmm. you know, and um, when the questions come up, certainly guiding them and directing them in the right um, manner and also respecting that they are children and they are innocent. And as they start to move towards adolescence in fifth and sixth grade and start to ask questions, that's when that's when we bring out this program of who am I? What does it look like to have a friendship, a relationship, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And so I think back to your question, um, this is what your program does. It really focuses on the individual and that internal locus of control and then moving forward and engaging parents. And I think starting, um, starting with private schools who are interested in having um, you um, bring this program to their schools would be amazing. 
Mm -hmm. um, and to come and work actually with the parents and the the children and with parents, it could start with just a, a you know, an evening edu parent education event. And some of them are going to mm -hmm. like it and some of them are not. And that's just, you know, but at least it's a start. Mm -hmm. And so for me as a parenting coach, I'm, I'm, you know, much more about um, helping um, children pre-adolescence develop that sense of capability and value and power and, and all of the skills that help them to be um, well-rounded and well-adjusted and mm -hmm. joyfully move into the world. Um, so reaching out to you and, and maybe having you visit or just, um, starting with a banter back and forth i think that that could be hey, a good can I start throw one last absolutely little pat on the back you know it's like teachers are evaluated and, and what they hope the administrators will see will be passionate engagement in the class with kids are into it i find these sessions um are very energized um the participation rate is high when you scan the room and read your, the kids' eyes, they're totally into it because it's a type of education that's speaking to them where they live at present. Yeah. Things that are really important that don't show Great up point. in anybody else's curriculum. So I will say this, whether you have somebody come in like myself or Sean or a team or you do it yourself, if it's done right, you'll find... Uh, that they really are super engaged and the feedback is very encouraging that I got stuff like, why can't we do more stuff like this? This was the most important thing I've had this year. And I'm like, that's what they're hungry for that. They, you know, where that they connection. Yeah, yeah. It's where they live and it's not in the essential elements. It's not going to get them a job with Microsoft, but it will do so much to determine the quality of their life, both at present and moving forward. So that's- And their emotional, the development of their emotional intelligence will get them that job at Microsoft, <laughs> so. Exactly. And then mm -hmm. the eternal fight, uh, getting an administrator to agree to allocate the time to do this, but um, it's well worth the effort and it's very rewarding and invigorating to see how into it and hands are up. You know, someone, you ask a, a question in say a history class and not a hand goes up in these everybody uh, has something to say even the yeah. shy introverted one so um, well also in closing i want to say that bon and i are, are developing a course an online course that will be for sale um in the very near future so we'll keep you updated on that and then um bon do you want to give your contact information so people can reach out to you yeah my um email address is von V-O-N-1004. See, that's 10-4. Nobody out there remembers CBs, but used to say that's a big 10-4. So <laughs> von104 at gmail.com is the best way and provide me your contact information. Then if you feel that uh, you prefer to talk, which Sean knows I prefer that method, my uh, cell phone number is 713-882-6142. And just let me close with this. Um, whether you look at what Sean and I are making available or invite us in to do a workshop, do something. Find mm -hmm. something that you like and do what I did. 
look at a lot of different things and, and piecemeal together so that you're doing a very great service for these young people and their families, even if some of the parents don't get it um, or don't appreciate it, uh, but do something because yeah. uh, the data is very disturbing. STDs mm -hmm. are on the rise. One, you know, one thing addiction rates seem to be leveling off, so that's good. But um, there is a very desperate need for this component in every school, public or private. So that's in a yeah. And and again, it's not just about the sex, sex education and substance abuse. It's about it's about emotional intelligence and helping it these is. children to be self-aware and to self-manage and to self-regulate in a healthy way and to enjoy their lives authentically. That's what freaks me out about, you know, I got into Montessori midway through my career and I go back and like I reread recently The Observant Mind, but she was so avant-garde, so ahead of her time. I'm not pushing Montessori to anybody else that's looking out here, but she observed the child and predicated education on that and her mm -hmm. planes of development to me are still spot on and mm -hmm. we're talking about the third plane of development and the characteristics that they identified in these kids it's why you need a program for this um, um, to address those issues that are literally fueled by hormones are exploding in them and um, um, I focus on my presentation on emotional, physical, psychological, and social. Mm -hmm. You deal with each one separately, and then you bring them together at the end that um, these are the facts. But Montessori was on to this 100 years ago yeah. in terms of the components of adolescent development because she observed, she watched, and she saw and wrote it down. And so for those of you that are Montessorians out there, um, this dovetails quite nicely with with the principles that Maria gifted us with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I just want to um, also thank everybody for for watching. And Vaughn's name is not Kathleen Leonard, <laughs> yeah. as it says on his little screen. <laughs> well, I, I, I've got my computer here, my tablet, and my phone. And I couldn't get you video on any of them. So, so maybe I need to attend a workshop on technology. <laughs> well, thank yeah. you for sharing your passion and always a pleasure. Um, so we'll be meeting, Vaughn and I will be meeting soon and creating a course and we'll keep you updated. All, All right, right thanks. Good. Thank you for the opportunity, Sean. Of Bye course. Night, everybody. Mm -hmm.